Welcome to Falcons on Air. I'm Wesley Hyde, the digital media manager for the Alabamian. With me today are Harrison Neville, managing editor. Noah Wertham, top lifestyles reporter. Zoe Hall, editor-in-chief. Today is January 23rd, and here are some stories from our newest release. In our news section, we have an article by Aubrey Chastain on the new Moe's replacement pita pit. And here in this article, we can find some of the offerings at the dining location, as well as some of their weekly and block plans. In Lifestyles, we have a piece um, about current UM student, Alexis Martinez, as she takes up a new job at the Shelby Humane Society. The article was written by our copy editor, Hannah Urban. And in our opinion section, we have 2021 resolutions by Brianna Bramlett. She discusses how she feels on the idea of New Year's resolutions in 2021 following COVID. In our news section, we have an article by Harrison Neville on the current state of the Briarfield prison and the ongoing protests. If you don't mind, can you tell us a bit more about what's going on with the protests and how it's affecting their personal lives? Yeah, sure, no problem, Noah. So, for starters, there's a lot of people who are residents of the Briarfield area. And for them, this is a more personal stake because there's concerns over what environmental impact, what local impact that this prison is going to have. Um, In fact, in response to the announcement, they formed up a Facebook group, several residents, called Block the Briarfield Prison. And I've met, or I've, <laughs> I've had phone interviews a few times with uh, Jackson McNeely, who is one of their, um, one of the people who's sort of helping run that situation. And she's communicated to me that one of their biggest issues is on an environmental level. They're not sure what impact this prison could potentially have on their waterways because Bradfield Prison is unincorporated, or Bradfield um, community is unincorporated, doesn't have a sewer system. Most um, people out there are on septic tanks. So they don't really know how they're going to support this. Do you know if there's a possibility that the introduction of the prison will kind of provide infrastructure for those waterways? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, It certainly has come up some. Part of the problem is that there hasn't been a lot of back and forth between the state, or if there has, it's been kind of kept a little... Um, it hasn't been open about what exactly is going to happen. So there's been a lot of discussion with um, the mayors and the towns surrounding Montevallo, um, some of the other uh, towns that are around here. And one of the things that's come up is there's concern over what impact this will have on their waterway because they don't, Montevallo, um, Rusty Nix has said that essentially he at the moment isn't really sure how that would work because a lot of these towns don't, aren't set up to support this prison system. So we don't really know at the moment. From what I understand, I have one comms professor who is talking a little bit about this because she lives in Bibb County. And a lot of her concern was about the water, but her bigger frustration was the fact that there wasn't communication with the community. And so with her living in such a rural environment, she doesn't know what's going to happen. I think that's people's bigger concern because I feel like in Montevallo I think a lot of it is the proximity to the prison that a lot of people have issue with but I feel like for people closer to Briarfield prison 
they are going to be so heavily affected by what's going on with the water because I think in your first article um you were talking about how much water they were going to be using and I from what I understand from what my professor said they don't have a lot of water resources like you said they run from septic tanks so there's a lot of unanswered questions as to where they're going to get these resources yeah no that's definitely um a concern that I've heard um as I've been researching this from a lot of the residents um Yes, lack of communication was a big concern. That's actually what really started up the Briarfield Prison. If you go, there's an article on AL.com where they interview several residents, and what the big thing there is that many of them feel like they weren't, they didn't receive enough communication. The prison, the announcement, when uh, Ivy announced the location of the three private prisons that were going to be leased by, built and then leased by the state, built by private companies, leased by the state. This announcement was made public, and that's when all these communities found out. There was no prior warning, and so for many of them, they felt like this was a problem. Um, I talked to, let's see, I talked to you and President Dr. Stewart. Uh, he stated that he found out about the same time as the residents, and this seemed to just be the general story for everyone in the area that they found out through friends, sending them articles, or they saw it online they were not given any heads up, which was upsetting for many of them. Now, among the residents, can you talk a little bit more about what students have to say about it? Well, um, yes. So, in this most recent article, I wrote a lot about um, the Alabama Students Against Prisons group. Uh, they're a group of students across um, Alabama who, ha they essentially, um, are trying to sort of reform the Alabama justice system. So for them, it's bigger than the prison. They have grievances against the way the justice system is working right now, period. And this prison is just sort of part of that. It helped to get things off the ground. So yes, we have um, Solomon Balaam Reed, actually. He is uh, the senior class president here at Montevallo. Um, is one of the board members of the Alabama Students Against Prisons. So I talked with him. I talked with um, most of the members of the board. One wasn't able to be there, and we had a discussion about this early in the week. But yes, there is definitely a lot of concern among students right now. Um, as far as where that's going to take them, as far as protest, at this moment, I don't know. I know they had planned a protest in... Montgomery prior to the riots that occurred in the Capitol, but after that, due to security concerns, they decided to move their protest online. But as far as that, I don't know what they're playing next. I do know one of our writers, Andrew Slane, who's our sports reporter, he told me he is also involved with Alabama students against prisons, and he told me that they have a lot planned for the future, so maybe we can keep up with that. Definitely. Um, I discussed that with uh, with the board, and one thing they did say is that they definitely have plans for the future and future events. One thing I was wondering is, since these prisons are going to be leased to private businesses, is whether or not there is any sort of legal responsibility or obligation of those businesses towards the environment. Now, that's an interesting question, Noah. So, first of all, I want to clarify real quick. Do you mean 
environment as in the natural environment such as the waterways or do you mean environment as in prison atmosphere? I suppose, I suppose both are in order, but it's, I was referring specifically towards uh, the natural environment, the community. Right. Well, um, they are under the same obligations as any other business. So essentially you have to get a permit um, stating this is how much is expected to be generated in wastewater and such. This is how, you know, all that sort of stuff. This, legally speaking, they can't just set up shop and then start, you know, dumping um, wastewater out into the river system, though that has been a concern on the residents. The interesting thing is there is a permit. I'm afraid at the moment I cannot recall its name, but I had a discussion with uh, UM professor Dr. Goodson um, earlier in the year, and this came up. There is a permit that you have to acquire, and this permit has to, as part of its, um, legally it has to be advertised for 30 days online so that all the um, residents and community members can view it and comment on it. And at last I heard, they had not, none of the businesses had applied for a permit, for this, um, in Briarfield at least, they have not applied for a permit yet. But at this moment, they haven't actually signed over the deal. So it's interesting because it sort of sounds like once, assuming that this agreement goes through with the Governor Ivy, this prison will presumably be constructed, but we haven't hit this permit. So I'm not really sure at which point they absolutely have to have the permit. I do know that they are supposed to get it, I believe, before construction starts. So earlier you mentioned the uh, prison environment. Do you have any more details on like what that might mean? Or Well, Wesley, at this point, it's really hard to say. So here's what we know. We know that the prison is set to be constructed by private companies. After its construction, the plan is for the state to lease it out. Now, that's where things get a little complicated. I have heard some of the activists that, um, I've read some of the activists have sort of voiced concern over this arrangement that the prisons, the prisoners will be kept in a building that is privately owned. But once again, it is being leased by the Alabama Department of Corrections. So the officers inside will be the employees of Alabama Department of Corrections. It's an interesting situation. The lease also will be renewed on a yearly basis. And my understanding is this has to do with the constraints of Governor Ivey's position. That, so this is a 30-year contract, I believe, um, set to be renewed every year with the leasing agreement being renewed every year because of, if I understand correctly, the limitations upon what the governor's office can and can't do without legislative approval. And when it comes to like the environment of the prison itself, are there any guarantees towards the company's responsibility for maybe the mental health of their inmates or their physical well-being? Right. Well, that's interesting. So one of the reasons that we've been given for why this prison is being built and why all three of them are being built is because um, the current facilities are considered outdated and crumbling and they need to be updated. They're currently overcrowded, which has of course had a rather large effect on both the 
the dangerousness of the situation with overcrowding and just the general mental health of the prisoners. So part of what um, Governor Ivey has told us is that these new prisons will be larger. They'll be able to house the inmates better and they will have new facilities to assist in um, mental health and other things. We Details are still kind of, haven't really gotten a lot of those. We've been told that the reason is because these negotiations with the companies are private, but we have been told that um, there will be some new additions to facilities to help with mental health. So what we're really seeing is just a large lack of transparency. That would be the complaint of most of the activists who have been fighting against this, yes. One of their, main, one of their complaints, yes. This is an ongoing story, so um, for any of our readers who are interested, just make sure to check back with us, and we'll keep you informed. All right, well, thank you for sharing that with us, Harrison. And that's it for the news, so now we're going to move on to our lifestyle segment. Noah, do you have anything for us today? Yeah, sure. Um, as you can see, you know, the streaming industry has grown tremendously over time. Um, you might even can say, especially due to recent circumstances with everyone being at home, you know, and it's easier than going to the theater, or maybe going out and buying a Blu-ray or something. And so we've kind of seen um, the big companies kind of take a crack at streaming. And right now it kind of seems like, you know, the big ones are kind of Disney Plus and uh, HBO Max, with HBO Max really taking strides lately. You know, they, um, they acquired the DC Universe films for their service, and they also announced that for the next year they had a partnership with Warner Brothers. So um, all the new Warner Brothers films for the next year will also debut on the streaming service as an alternative to going to theaters. So you can kind of see, you know, these big companies kind of batting it out, trying to create competition. And but you know, there's the downside to this as well. You know, we're seeing consolidation. You know, the big fish eat the little ones, and I was just wondering about how you feel if it's a good thing that we're seeing less options, that we're starting to see this shrink a bit. I feel like with this kind of industry, like entertainment, that I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. However, I think it can hurt the consumerism sometimes because you do have limited options. But there's also advantages to it, like there's certain packages. Like I know with Disney Plus, you can get... ESPN or like if you have Spotify premium you can also get Hulu and some other streaming services so there are some upsides but I feel like with certain platforms taking certain material off like Netflix recently took the office off their platform that it there's a lot of back and forth between platforms because I know like I don't know anybody who has just one so I'm curious as to whether or not we'll ever get to a point where it's all in one place because that's essentially what people were doing with cable but most people don't use cable anymore yeah that's definitely the fear right is that ultimate consolidation that monopolization that's exactly what I'm afraid of personally is I was very glad that we moved away from cable, you know, that we were a bit more free. So it's kind of scary to think that we might be heading back in that direction. Um, Wesley, did you have something you wanted to add? Um, not, 
I kind of have this weird thing with streaming services. My family has Netflix, and since I have Spotify Premium, I have Hulu. But the thing is, I don't use either of them at all. I've found myself using YouTube all the time, so I think there's also that they're not just competing with each other as companies, they're competing with just regular people now, too. Which is kind of weird in a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, tagging on to that, I think... Yeah, it's interesting because they've got this... There's this struggle to draw in people. Um, and I know I'm sort of like Wesley. I've got... My family has Netflix. That's what we pay for. And then between all of us, we've accumulated a few different ones. Like back when you know DC Universe was a streaming service, I had that. My family could use that. My brother has... He has um, Hulu, I believe, because of Spotify. So there's a little bit of mixing and matching there. I think that's always been sort of like, I know with Netflix, it's always been a thing, right? You you go, you have your friend, your family, whoever, and you just borrow it from them. And so there's definitely still that element, but it's interesting trying to figure out, is this still a price-effective option? Because, okay, you tag on a bunch of streaming services, it's like paying for cable, but if you're sharing it between numerous friends and stuff, what effect is it having? Because I'm only paying for, I'm paying for DC Universe, and that's it, and then I just mooch off my brother and I mooch off my parents. And I think that's pretty common for a lot of people. Like they, you know, they have, like if I, um, I've watched Disney Plus shows with my roommate, because his family's got that. So you just, everyone's borrowing from each other. I think it's really interesting what Wesley said about competing with regular people because I recently moved into an apartment before the beginning of the academic year and since I live by myself I don't really have a lot of time at home because I'm literally always on campus so I spend so much of my time consuming free material that I didn't really think about the price effective options because I feel like for some people like paying for one streaming service and like everybody kind of sharing it with each other is one thing but if you are not sharing it with people at what point does it become too much and it become ultimate consolidation like you were saying so that's a, there's a really important factor there about competition because these companies need to ensure that their platform, um, the pricing is good, you know, it's appealing to the consumer. And then also, you know, they need to actually put forth exclusive content that kind of warrants that purchase, um, you know, that people will actually use or watch the service. Now, follow-up question. There's been a lot of discussion in the past several months about the movie industry and how movie theaters are likely to shut down. Do you think that that's going to affect pricing for streaming services at all? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, they've actually been tampering and, you know, kind of figuring out how to do that because of the, you know, the pandemic. So the first people we kind of start, we saw start doing this um, well, first we saw the movie Trolls get released to a digital platform, and it sold incredibly well, which kind of scared people. And then when it came to the streaming services, um, Disney Plus released Mulan, but the problem with it is they had, 
watching Mulan apparently was an additional charge on top of the streaming service. And so then, you know, we have this, we have the HBO Max deal, which it's not an additional charge, it's just the flat rate. Um, and then now Disney Plus, they released Soul back on December 25th, and they didn't charge an extra fee for it, it was just part of the platform. So it's hard to say for sure. They might be, what they might be doing for now is incorporating these films for no extra charge, and then once they build up their base, maybe then they'll raise their prices. That's mine. And going back to competition, you know, I mentioned, you know, the exclusivity and the importance appealing to consumers. Are there any exclusives on these platforms that actually appeal to you? Now, what's interesting to me about exclusive material is how there are some shows and movies that are very formulaic because they know people will watch it. But I think there are certain shows like The Handmaid's Tale, which got a lot of traction, that I find particularly interesting. Most recently, I've been really excited to watch WandaVision. I've seen a lot of good things online, and I'm really excited to see what the character storylines are like after such a big movie like Endgame because in the original movie franchise there are certain characters that don't get as much attention as others like obviously uh Wanda just uh comes in kind of is it phase two I don't know but she comes in but you don't get a lot of her backstory so it's, she's one of my favorite characters and I'm excited to see more of her storyline. Yeah, when it comes WandaVision, Disney Plus kind of seems to be the one service that really appeals to me because first of all, their price point is cheaper from, from it seems like than the, you know, the other options. And then yes, WandaVision and then the Mandalorian are both the content that appeal to me, um, especially WandaVision of late because it goes in such a, an unusual and kind of possibly original direction um, and it really does something different you know it kind of shakes up the MCU formula. Well I know certain people who enjoy the Mandalorian that don't necessarily enjoy their original material of Star Wars so it's interesting too that there are certain people who enjoy the exclusive material even if they don't enjoy the previous material. So I think there are some things that are standalone. That's very true, because even my parents who haven't really followed the MCU, even they've been enjoying WandaVision. So, I mean, that might even pique curiosity for these people to explore the rest of these franchises on the services. Yeah, um, for me, I think that's a good point. But... I'll probably watch those, maybe, if someone gives me an opportunity, but I'm not super interested in the show that's really got me um, interested is I want to see where DC takes Young Justice um, in the future. So now that it's on HBO Max, I'll you know have to borrow it from someone, but it'll be interesting to see where that goes because I think they left off an interesting note. I think season three was a little disappointing compared to the previous two, but I am still looking forward to season four and seeing where they go. Now, I have a follow-up question. With certain shows, how do you feel about them releasing it, uh, releasing like an entire season all at once versus them releasing one episode a week? Do you think there's a difference in 
people's perception of the show or how much they enjoy it? Um, yeah, definitely. I think I mean, it might depend on which audience you're going with because, you know, there's binge culture kind of started because of Netflix. And so there's certainly the people who just want to really get through a show in a weekend or however long and just kind of experience it. And then there's also people who enjoy like the slow burn, the story unfolding. I know personally, um, I know that the anime community has a distaste for Netflix because they release series all at once. And the problem that's created by that is that you delay the release of something because you're saving all the material for at one time. And so it kind of delays the process and you might experience it later um, than when it was first done. I've never thought about that. Personally, I, I've always taken part in binge culture and I've never thought about how people feel about releasing it in bulk, but that does make sense. Do you think that there are advantages in doing one over the other? Um, yeah, definitely, especially from a business standpoint. Because um, if you do, you know, the, the slow burn, the episodic weekly releases, um, specifically like for Disney Plus with WandaVision, for instance, you really encourage the consumer to actually pay for more than a month, right? So WandaVision has nine episodes, and currently there are three episodes out, and they have a release schedule of an episode a week. So that ensures that if people want to watch that series, they either subscribe for one month and binge it once it's finished, or they pay for several months so that they can keep up with it. So in a way, you might be able to say that consumers can still can still um, enjoy both at the same time if you do the slow burn, but um, it's delayed. The idea of like it all coming out at once, I, I, I actually think that's kind of appealing even for something kind of like maybe an anime or something because I'm impatient, I guess. And like that whole wait a week or two and maybe it'll come out because sometimes they don't release weekly. It gets a little annoying to me. Like, Netflix has one of my favorite anime series. Um, and I just, it has 10 episodes and I just shot through it. And it just kind of, you can just go straight through. Just kind of helped it in a way. Well, there's also that if they release it in bulk, you do have to wait until, like, the entire season's over. So mm -hmm. there are, if you think about the math, it's... It, it really, I think, is more about instant gratification versus delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. um, me, I am also impatient. Personally, I want to watch it all at once, but I do see the appeal in weekly release. Yeah, I think I'm with you guys. I prefer to just have my content delivered to me all at once. But on the other hand, there definitely is that appeal of, okay, it gives you something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a webcomic. You know, mm -hmm. you go back, you're like, I wish the content creator could just hurry up and put it all out there for me. But there's that nice feeling of, oh, today is Saturday. I've got another episode to watch, you know, or whatever. Well, I think it works the same because with podcasts, they come out a week at a time or maybe even more frequently, depending on the podcast. Or there are certain, you know, YouTube channels that mm -hmm. release a, a, at a certain schedule. So I feel like it works the same as really any other entertainment outlet mm -hmm. but it's people who use streaming services that i think look for the binge content i 
I think that it also kind of has to do with the kind of content that it is too. Cause like, like you said, with podcasts or YouTube channels, it can be something different every week, pretty much. Or like a web comic. It's not always the same, but like a continuous story sometimes, depending on the story, if it's not done pretty quickly, it get, it feels dragged out to me and it feels like, well, I kind of don't have interest anymore. Yeah. Well, along with binge culture, I don't know what kind of term you might use, just watch culture or something. It's the reason I brought up the anime community is because, you know, a lot of fans have really gotten used to simulcasting. And that's, you know, the ability to watch these brand new episodes, you know, shortly after they, they, after they air in Japan, they get subtitled. And so some, I think some people don't enjoy not being caught up. You know, they're not being current. They have to wait for Netflix or whoever to license it and then possibly even do a dub for it to hit, you know, the streaming service. They would rather just keep up with it live and then possibly even engage in like a live discussion on Twitter or some sort of thread talking about the show as it keeps on going. Yeah, that's true. I think there's also, it, I think it's the whole idea of FOMOs, like especially with the idea of fandoms, it's there are certain cultures within a show or a movie or whatever franchise that I feel like if you're not keeping up with it, you do get little left behind. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But I guess it really just depends on what you're looking for because I think there's, a once again, to binge or not to binge because you got people like Wesley and Austin, like me, who will, you know, we if you got a long show and if you... Well, actually, no, I take it back. Sorry. Wesley and I are actually different. Wesley um, will... <laughs> because <laughs> well, Wesley you said that you for you it's like if you have to wait it's sort of you're like ah, I'm not sure about it anymore it depends I mean for me it's kind of the opposite because it's like if I if I'm binging something the problem with me is I'll start binging something if there's too much of it to binge, I just get tired of I just not necessarily the show I can still be interested in the show and enjoying it mm-hmm. but you get burned out on it I, yeah I just can't it's just that I'm not very good about committing shows but if it's a one episode a week mm-hmm. type thing that's a very that's very, you know, I can, I can, I can t- handle that. That's not too big a time uh, commitment. I just go, okay. See, that totally makes sense with me because there are certain shows on streaming services that have several seasons that it's really daunting to mm-hmm. see like 10 seasons and think, oh, wow, this is going to take me a while to get through. But with shows that are like one or two seasons that it, you can get through that in like a couple of weeks. I think the main thing of like what I meant is like I can stay interested in it, you know? It's just like it kind of goes in like a phase. Like I'll start out interested and then when I'm like it's not all there I'm get, I'm gone it, for you like You put a, it on the back burner. I'm I'm gone for a month or two. <laughs> and then I'll eventually come back or or not. I <laughs> it depends. Do you feel that the approach to the binge approach or the episodic approach, which which approach do you think is better for the company? Because you've talked a bit about how y'all feel about personally as consumers, how it appeals to you, but how do you think, is it a good approach for the company? Is the Netflix approach, say, good? Or do you think, like, the Disney Plus approach is better? I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, probably the Disney Plus one, where they kind of stretch out. I would agree. It kind of goes back to what you were saying, is if they release it once a week and they have x number of episodes it keeps people 
interested in paying for their platform because I know several platforms offer like a one month free trial, but a lot of people are, if they get hooked on that specific show that releases once a week, that they're more likely to pay for it after there's free trials up. I think it just, honestly, I think it depends. I think Netflix has set themselves up in a really good position where they don't have to do that because there was a lot of people who were upset who were used to Netflix when they went and they saw how all the other streaming services were doing it. But I think, though, I think you're right that I think it makes sense for them to do it. But I also think the way Netflix has established themselves as this massive, um, uh, this giant just pumping out content, I think that they're doing... You know, sometimes some you might say Netflix originals are hit or miss, but they produce some really good shows. Like Umbrella Academy was very popular. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of it. It's pretty good. Yeah, there's a lot of popular shows. There's a lot of stuff on there that is easier to watch on Netflix. Like some of the manga and stuff on there. I mean, if you're not paying for a Crunchyroll or one of the other um, services, then like premium, then you're going to have to deal with ads. Whereas Netflix, you're ad free. So it Definitely, I would say Netflix has set themselves up where they don't need to do that because they're established enough where people are like, okay, it's worth it to keep paying for Netflix. Now it's with, just a staple. Now with Netflix continuing to take certain popular options off their platform, do you think that that's going to continue to work for them? Personally, I do. I think it... I think that even as you know they lose access to some of their some of the titles that might have been more popular, I think it's still going to be fine because they're going to keep pumping out new stuff. And while yes, some of the big giants in the industry like Disney and DC are going to pull their stuff off, and of course Marvel's going because they're part of Disney. Well, they're going to pull their stuff off. There's still going to be a lot of companies and a lot of movies that'll still wind up on there that people are going to want to watch. And Netflix is still going to keep producing content. So I think, personally, I just feel like Netflix, for the foreseeable future, is, you know, you'll have your streaming services, and some people might dump Netflix for one of the others, but I think Netflix is just going to be a staple because those streaming services are very much... They've got their own sort of niche that they fit into. Netflix is very broad in what it can offer. Um, A positive I will say about Netflix that connects to that broad and niche aspect um there's definitely you know the broad the, the common consumer market but i will say netflix has done a pretty good job at kind of the niche market as well because they've been good at getting some of these like nice um directors to come and do exclusive works they had david fincher work on the mindhunter series which was fantastic they he, they also have his new movie mank on there so they've worked with david fincher they also have a little short film by David Lynch. So even though they do have that, you know, broad stroke with the Stranger Things, um, maybe the Umbrella Academy, the things like that, they do have some material for, you know, maybe some of the film snobs, if you will. Yeah. But I think once again, that speaks towards what I'm saying is that they've got this, there's this really wide amount of variety available on Netflix compared to some of the others who are definitely, I just feel more, well, yeah, Disney's got all these different smaller licenses. There often is similarities. It's like if you're if you watch honest trailers, they did um they kind of were making fun of that when they were showing like the Star Wars that big scene in the latest Star Wars movie came out, Episode Nine, and 
they had that big scene like ah and all the ships come flying in towards the end there and they're like wow this looks very familiar and then they show a clip of avengers um end game where you've got you know the portals open everyone steps through and then i can't remember what other movies but it was like it was like oh yeah there's definitely some crossover here with the disney style that's happening and that's one of the positives though that i can say about where Disney is going, though, because The Mandalorian, you know, is like this dark spinoff series about, you know, kind of like the criminal underworld going on. Um, it's kind of a different direction, um, even though it seems to be now connecting back to the original series. And then we got WandaVision, which is also weird and strange and kind of a departure from, like, the uh, action-focused um, epics that were the first four phases of the MCU. All right. Well, this was a good discussion, but now it's time to move on to Books on the Bricks. Books on the Bricks. Books on the Bricks. Books on the Bricks. In this segment, we discuss books or stories we've recently read. So recently, I finished a memoir by my two favorite podcast hosts. They host a podcast called My Favorite Murder, and it's uh, by Karen Gilgariff and... Georgia Hardstark, and it basically takes them through their life, and um, it's very on brand for their podcast. And I have self-identified as a true crime junkie since I was like 12. And one book I have never actually read is *In Cold Blood* by Truman Capote. I was going to read it when I was in high school for class, but I never got the chance. So now I'm reading it. I'm about halfway through, and I particularly like it because it's written from an outside point of view and is written by a journalist, which I think is especially interesting. Okay, I just recently read Deliverance by James Dickey. Um, The 1972 film by the same name is based on this book. Um, I watched the film first for my class and then I started reading the book. And um, I found, you know, there's a lot of differences in it, and I really enjoyed something in the book I'll talk about for a moment here, is I really liked some of the characterization that the book went into, that the film kind of lacked, you know, now you have a book, so there's more time to kind of explore the characters and their motivations. There was just a lot more overall development of the cast and of the story that kind of rounded things. There was more of a beginning, um, and you might even could say that maybe there was more of an end to the, the piece as well. For, but for those who don't know, Deliverance, though, is about, uh, about a trip with um, four men going down this river in Georgia, and a bunch of circumstances happen to them, and so the protagonist is kind of put in, like, the survivor situation, and he's trying to, you know, there's, like, questionable morality and decision-making, and he's trying to get out of the river uh, with his life. So I've been reading um, Witchwood, which is an online uh, ongoing comic by, I believe the handle of the creator is Varathane. And it's excellent. It's a story um, based in this kind of post-apocalyptic world after a race of magic-using aliens invaded. And about, um, and the main group that sort of fought them off was this organization known as Witchwood, which kind of learned how to use the magic of the aliens and fought back. So the story is based in that world about 20 years after the invasion. Um, at this point, you know, like, they, Earth won the war, but things are kind of still chaos, and there's still stragglers stuck over um, on on Earth uh, that they have to fight against. 
and the story follows two teenagers with some sort of mysterious background. I haven't gotten, the story hasn't progressed far enough to find out exactly what their deal is, but it's really interesting. What I started reading was Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. It's the uh, novel the Blade Runner movies are based on. Uh, like I said, I haven't gotten too far into it, but so far it seems what I what I like about it is that there's more characterization of the world and what it's like to kind of live in those kind of cyberpunk worlds themselves, and it it's definitely a little, has a certain kind of interesting characteristic to it that's not in the movies. So that is Books on the Bricks. All right, so this has been Falcons on Air. This has been Wesley Hyde. Harrison Neville. Noah Wortham. And Zoe Hall. Please check us out on our website, The Alabamian. If you're interested in buying an ad with The Alabamian, check our website for more information. Keep an eye out for copies of The Alabamian on campus.